most challenging places to do innovation is in the university, the academic environments, because the systems, the patterns in the systems hold it in place extremely tightly. You're listening to the Insight to Action podcast. My name is Donna Jones. I'm your host. And my work involves both sound decision-making for complexity and new worlds, but also the transformational requirement we have within us as humans to upgrade and to really be able to cope with the complexity and, and unpredictability of today's environments. Dr. Katrine Muff is the force behind the Business School Lausanne's adoption of Holacracy and the design of the gap frame for what I believe is about tracking the implementation of the UN Strategic Sustainable Goals. So we'll We'll talk more about that. I came across Katrina originally at the 2014 Global Forum for Business as Agents of World Benefit in Cleveland. She's an active thought leader. She's been consulting and conducting applied research in sustainability and is responsible for directing a couple of programs, which I'm sure we'll talk about. So she's in the transformative space of sustainability and responsibility and has also been the dean there from 08 to uh, 2015 until she implemented self-organization, which got rid of her title. And I think that's probably one of, the, one of the most interesting things is to eliminate your title, so to speak. So let's start with that. You've, you've designed yourself out of a title, which for in academia or in business isn't that common. So what, what was behind the idea to introduce self, self-management into Business School is on? That's a wonderful question. And indeed, it's probably not very common. For me, I think a couple of motivations, which I, which I think uh, yeah, I do a lot of research in, in transformation, and I've, I've noticed often that effective transformations are connected to a transformation that happens at three levels at the same time, at the I level, kind of the me personal, at the we, the organizational level, and at the so-called all of us, something that is relevant to society. So as I'm giving you my answer, you'll see I'll, I touched on all these three levels. First of all, personally, uh, I had been dean for seven years, and I was really ready for a change. I've noticed that the way that we, were, we, we started to run the organization, a lot of the decisions ended up on my plate that I didn't feel the most competent person to answer uh, or just to, to make these decisions. These were either decisions that were made by the team by, uh, or decisions that were dragged out that uh, I felt somebody else could do earlier and better than me. In many ways, I felt like the, the bottleneck of the organization and I've really developed an appetite into doing more research in sustainability responsibility and uh, the, transform- the transformation that your business education needs. And I wanted to devote more time to it. And I couldn't do both that and heading the organization from a hierarchical position. So I was looking personally for a change. If we, if we look at it from the organizational level, what is interesting is that we had uh, introduced a mission and, and, and the purpose to BSL uh, in 2013. And I noticed that I had great difficulties in, in actually creating traction so that the organization would really start to implement that purpose and organize itself around that purpose. So I was, I was hoping that through uh, self-organization that we would be able to, much, to embed the purpose much more in your, into the organization. I realized the limits of hierarchy in driving purpose. So that was one of my hopes. And then thirdly, from, a, from a, all of us on a systemic level, you know, as a, as, a, as a business educator who claims to be innovative, we thought, let's educate, let's expose our students to the kinds of alternatives of future leadership and management that they will get exposed to in, the, in their future. So why shouldn't we walk the talk and actually try to be one of these new models of, of self-organization. So it was really kind of a, an innovative thought on one hand from the kind of let's offer something to our students where they see 
how an organization is run very, very differently from anything that has been done in the past. It was my limitations of um, implementing the, the purpose in the school and, and personally just uh, an appetite for doing different things after seven years. I love that because it, 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 there's a lot of schools that talk about it, but doing it brings you right into the experience. And I've also been talking to a lot of millennials who've been getting through their university career to come out the other end and discover that everything they learned was redundant. Things have changed so fast. So, so let's, let's, be, let's dig a little bit deeper on this. And what, uh, how, how, how has this made a difference, both to faculty, where, where a lot of the resistance can come from? I mean, because getting everybody on the same page as dean, you can do that, but people won't go there unless they want to. And the other side of it is, is how and how students, how has that made a difference both to, to, the, to the faculty and the student and how business schools now are, or, or BSL was on is relevant to the bigger world? Easy questions for the moment. As we implemented this, we left the faculty pretty much out of it. We felt that the administrative part first needed to get used to this, explore it, uh, learn about it, kind of smoothen out some of the, the, the edges that, that, ha- that we had had. And only uh, about a year in did we, did we introduce kind of our, four fac- for our core faculty into, into the whole accuracy system, into the self-organization. And a lot of questions come up with that. I mean, it gives the faculty a totally new space. Just this morning, we had a, an innovative space uh, with the core faculty where uh, we were looking at how can they, they have now an appetite for uh, taking on entirely new roles that before were not even, it was not even possible to have, to have a discussion about what they could be doing. And now they brought forward how they would like to be a part of the transformation that we're at. So it's interesting. So we didn't include them initially. We brought them in after a year. And now we start to see how the core faculty is really starting to understand the, the, the playfulness of innovation that is happening. Same with the students, because the students are not really, uh, I mean, the, the, the student council, we also were in, involved in, the, in self-organization after about a year. And, but the student council is a relatively small group of students. So I would say the majority of students haven't had full exposure yet. There's two things we've done. We've introduced, actually, I think it's the first school uh, in the world, a um, business school at least, uh, a course on self, uh, self-management. self So we have a 40-hour course uh, where we cover not only a whole accuracy, just, just this idea of what are different ways of organizing from, from you know, from hierarchy and then uh, matrix organizations to self-organization, all these different things. And they do actually a simulation um, of whole accuracy. And one of, the, one of the insights we have from when we run this course again is that we let them sit in into a, a real meeting that we have and observe. And that will give them a bit of exposure, more of what we are doing. We, we have a new role at, in Hall Accuracy now that, we will, that will start to be populated, which uh, basically where we say we will create an entire social entrepreneurial innovation space for students to come and do their own projects around how to realize the BSL mission. So they have now their own circle in Hall Accuracy that it will organize uh, in. So we'll see how they will energize that. We look forward to that. Uh, and we believe uh, that's part of, that's exactly kind of the original idea that we had, kind of find a space where they can not just see how we do it differently. They have to get used to that, of course, right? Uh, we all have very different titles in our doors, uh, but they can actually actively get involved in it. One of the things we do very differently today uh, in terms of a, of a welcome day, in a welcome day, we have groups of students 
now walking into all of our offices and we all explain what we do. We never did that before. Like we were very much isolated from the students. And now the students in, in their welcome day, they actually walk through all of our offices, right? And we give them an overview of what we do. We invite them in. We say how they get in, can get in touch with us and so forth. So I believe we've become a lot more human among ourselves and with the students. You know, I think that's really the, what lies at the crux of all of these relations, you know, the self-management and, and, and the, it's just to take the, the shift off the mechanical and put it back on the people because the people are the ones that make the change happen. That's that sense of playfulness you talked about earlier that's, that's fundamental to being able to adapt to what we don't know right now, which is a lot. So the faculty, what were they observing that got them to, you know, that inspired them to step in? To, to holacracy because you know holacracy's got a, an interesting reputation uh, and it particularly it comes from people watching from the outside instead of jumping in and experiencing it from the inside so what, what do you think it was that really got faculty engaged yeah holacracy is suffering from a bit of a, a weird ex- reputation we're actually currently writing a, a bsl case on holacracy because we experience it so differently and so positively so we should have the case study written in the next should be finished in the next couple of months as an alternative example i really take quite some issue with some of the articles that are out there um, because mostly what they they try to understand the technicalities and the nearly mecha- mechanical rigidity that holacracy has which actually are elements that force personal transformation, but they make no sense when you simply read about them. You go like, what? You know, what? What is the difference between soul and role and all of these terms? You really need to live it. So I think the faculty they started to see how we actually differently engage with them. It was a whole process of where, for in the beginning, that they knew, like in the old world, they knew if ultimately they had a problem with anybody and they would knock on my door as a dean, they would get attention. And it was a big learning process for them to understand that I wasn't their go-to person when they couldn't solve issues with other people anymore, but they actually would solve the issues with those people who would take the decision. So for a while, that was kind of a, a really a, an uncomfortable place for them because it's very comfortable if you have somebody who will, act, who will hear to you, listen to you and come in and moderate conflicts. I think it, it resulted in a lot of respect for the team that we have and in a lot of understanding actually of listening from the right people to the right people because they needed to now solve the problems among them. And it just I think it, it created a lot of appreciation and mutual understanding for the different perspectives that the faculty has with a program director or a program administrator. If you have to hack that out at that level, you you know you need to work it out. I think a lot of appreciation happened around the transparency that emerged around who could actually make best what decisions it was very uncomfortable i think for them in the beginning because it was so much more complicated for them before it was just one person that was easy i would get you know and i had um i had to say no a lot of time and that didn't necessarily make me very popular right because they they were like thinking maybe i'm running away from my responsibility or it was just kind of it became wasn't so easy and I think increasingly, the more we learned also to bring more humanness to work, which, which is really a challenge if you use a, an operating system like Holacracy and self-organization. Is, uh, we've all you know, suffered through the loss of trust and human interaction initially. We had a terrible first six months. You know, it was, we were all in the mechanics that uh, everybody's so critical about Holacracy till we understood what this differentiation between work and 
and, and the social space means. And once they saw how we were able to navigate differently, I think all of us are at, at the administrative level are so much more, we bring so much more of ourselves to work. Uh, we interact so differently with the faculty. There's so much more choking going on. There's like a, mo- a lot more human interaction. You know, it's like, it's a totally different atmosphere and culture has kind of emerged. And I think it gave them the freedom to open up more of what their personal desires were by saying, hey, but I really am here because I, I, I deeply connect with your purpose. How can I contribute more? I want to do more than just this little role here. What can I do? How can I, how, where is there room for me to make a difference? Right, so I think that's very clear because it is a it is a parsing out of the experience at work to be able to distinguish because what you know when you go into a regular a traditional organization, one dominates over the other to the point where you, you don't actually recognize there's two tracks running until mm-hmm. you pull out and, and start to parse them out a little bit more clearly, which I think is what holacracy and does as a governance system is it really does help sharpen you know bring to the conscious level what, what you're actually working with so let's go into the insights you gain because any transformation process is especially in a system you know a systemic one uh, like a business school or, or academic environment is is going to surface some interesting patterns and, and ways of thinking that that need to be adjusting what insights did you gain you know through this whole process and, and flipping from you making and carrying the responsibility for everything to sharing that and distributing it throughout the, uh, the unit. I, I would probably take it back to what, what I said initially about that there is some magic that happens when you manage to connect the three levels of transformation at the I, we, and all of us level. I think our transformation has worked best with people who felt the personal connection to the purpose of, of, of the organization and could kind of connect that to something they wanted to do in the world that was beyond themselves or beyond BSL. So I think there, it was really, for, for those who had that connection, the transformation was, was bumpy and, and hard, but they could make sense out of it. And for those who were not at sync with either the purpose of the, of the organization or maybe more came to work without necessarily feeling a, a deep passion for, for uh, either the job they were doing or what BSL was all about. I think it was a good time to really question whether or not they were comfortable with accepting more self-responsibility because holacracy has all, or self-organization has got nothing to do with holacracy. Self-organization really requires everybody at work to step up to the responsibility of filling these roles that we have to the best that we can. So you end up with every, everybody being your boss, not just having one boss, right? I mean, today, everybody, we, we, are, we, are, we need to be transparently sharing with anybody who comes in what we do and why we do it and why we don't do something else and, and why we prioritize one thing over the, over the other. And that's, uh, you know, that's quite provoc- provocative. Uh, not, not many of us have that kind of um, supervision in our jobs. I would think that uh, for anybody else, for an organization to take on such a, such, such a systemic change, I would, I would closely look at matches and mismatches at the, at the individual level, at the organizational level, and, uh, and how this connects to a larger um, uh, contribution to the world and society, to kind of a systemic level. That's a pretty general answer. I think there there need to be very concrete tools for it. For I can give you one example if uh, if that is of help. For example, uh, we realized that 
implementing Holacracy was um, provoking a lot of personal change for many of us. I often walked out of meetings feeling that, you know, I got these soft slaps on my, on my face. Not a really a knockdown, but just kind of a reminder. So, Catherine, there's a bit of work to do for yourself. And um, we gave everybody a $1,000 of personal, personal development budget. And I said, like, you can spend this on whatever you want, from a massage to therapy to a coach to whatever, to a yoga retreat. We don't, we don't care what you do, but we understand that we're unsettling something in you. And we want to give you, we want to give you the space that you can follow that if you, if you feel like. What this has done is that, uh, and everybody with the exception of one person has picked that up. So which is pretty amazing. And what has, has resulted as a, as a consequence of this is that among us as partners, we started to talk about personal development. And that has really deepened our, our, our relationships because suddenly we'd say like, oh, you know, yesterday I had this conversation with my coach and she pointed out to me that, Whenever I look at this and this and this, I have this and this reaction. What do you observe? Or would you be willing to give me feedback next time I do that? And, you know, like, so suddenly we became, there's this nice term that calls, like, deliber- deliberately developmental organizations, DDOs, that Robert Keegan writes about. Suddenly we were in the space of becoming a deliberately developmental organization, which was not an intention that we necessarily had, but it really enabled us to get these three levels transparent and highlighted. And so that's that's one example of what we've done that may not be appropriate for every organization. And I tell you, I didn't think this would be something that would work in our business school, knowing our people. And it just it flew beautifully. And it was I didn't I had no idea what would happen when you when you offer such a such a such a space and such budget. Right. And it was just it was magic. Well, I appreciate you did that because a lot of places would not think of the personal repercussions of any kind of change. It's I mean, when you come at it from a more of a systemic process base, you, you would completely ignore the human experience in that, in that framework. And so the, the beauty of, of the experience of working with something like Holacracy, where there's much more self-leadership involved, much more conscious attunement to what's going on in the space you're in, that's a, that's a beautiful bit of support. So especially to give people the freedom, the autonomy to choose, because one of the things that, that typically gets lost early on in traditional change methods is the autonomy. It's more like a, a dictum to, to make these kinds of process changes. I wrote a blog about this. I realized that my, I wrote this blog that says there is no such thing as organizational culture. There is only people culture, meaning that an organization is a legal entity. It doesn't have a soul. It doesn't have, it's a, there's no paper culture, right? Paper cannot have a culture. Only the people can. So but what I started to pay more attention to is I think what brought it, the cultural change about with us were when people started to act differently towards each other. So I think that is really interesting. And that is uh, unfortunately an element that Holacracy purposefully totally ignores because they said we do not want to regulate that space at all. They're often misunderstood by saying you don't have to do anything there. But basically what they're saying is we don't want to regulate it for you. You need to figure that out yourself. That's really brutal for an organization to, uh, to, he- to live with that. And I would certainly um, advise an organization to get support in that, even though there is probably a lot of pain that you must go through uh, in order to, to get to that differentiation of where you take the, 
I often use that example, like uh, as a dean, I would, you know, friend with my cup of coffee, lean in the door of an of an assistant and uh, have a nice friendly chat. And then at the end, towards the end of the conversation, I would kind of drop a, wor a work order of saying, ah, oh, by the way, would you mind running me this and this and this and this and bye, right? So totally connect, uh, totally mixing up friendliness with maybe an appropriate or inappropriate request that, of work. And I mean, separating this out is is tricky on for everybody and that is that that needs a bit of pain but i think it's one of the under evaluated uh, notions in a system like all accuracy and i think that's why all these self-managed systems whether they're custom designed internally by the company or whether they're drawing on a framework like holacracy they all have to be customized to fit the environment mm -hmm. i mean that mm -hmm. is the aspect of it that people overlook it's not, it's not like sort of going out and buying a suit and putting it on and saying, yeah, I'm good to go. It's very much around doing the work it takes to make everything fit the environment that you're in and the people and the relationships and all of that. So great awareness there. I appreciate that. I came across one day um, gap frame. And, <laughs> and, of course, business schools, you know, can make a big difference, I think, sustainably and globally. But gap frame showed up, and it had to do with UN and sustainable development goals. And it made me curious. So can you tell us more about that, please? Well, first of all, uh, you know, like, indeed, we, we ask ourselves a lot, um, what is the biggest contributions that we can make as a, as a tiny little business school? What is it? And, I mean, quickly we realized that we need to find opportunities beyond making sure that the graduates that leave from here are appropriately equipped to handle their businesses in a responsible way in the complex and increasingly difficult environmental and social and economic situation that we are in. That's one thing, but that is way too small an impact. Uh, and we are, we are aiming to do much more than that. And we're hoping to, with things like the gap frame, we're hoping to contribute to help other schools transform as well. So we have, we have developed a range of tools. The gap frame is one of them. We've got three, four more that are designed to help uh, other business schools to actually replicate what we are doing. Uh, and we increasingly consider ourselves kind of a prototyping space that comes up with new solutions that other business schools can, if they want to and are, and, and are, want, are looking, you know, use, adapt, and, um, and play with in their own space. So the gap frame really was born out of uh, our presence at the Rio Plus 20 conference, where we realized that we we wanted to 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 find ways to make it easier to to deliver on the sustainable development goals we figured this is this is a, a clear responsibility of a scientist working in the area of business the sustainable development goals are fabulous but to try and apply them in your own country or region well good luck so the gap frame is an easy to use online tool that is designed to give practical support to everyone working towards a sustainable and safe future. In many ways, it's a, it's accumulation of 18 months work by a group of sustainability thought leaders, driven really by our desire to make it easier to deliver on the sustainable development goals. And the gap frame translates the 17 global goals into relevant and measurable issues for each nation, and then pre presents them in visual multidimensional uh, maps, including a world map. The gap frame introduces the idea uh, of setting a target for a so-called safe space where we can all live well within the limits of the planet 
And then it maps out the current state of the world against this target to highlight the gap which needs to be closed in order to bring the world to a safe space. And that's kind of the magic of the, of the gap frame. And the safe space is, is presented in terms of the four sustainability dimensions, planet, society, economy, and governance, and then incorporating 24 underlying issues that are tracked by a selection of 68 indicators using available data sources that, that are out there. The tool, if you want, pro provides a, a view of the current state of the world from a perspective of either a country, a region, an issue, or a sustainability dimension, and includes a dashboard of related priority issues to close the gap to the safe space. And the data behind the dashboards provide the, the transparency and the insight into how the indicators are used and, and, and provide kind of an opportunity for, to deep dive into the details. As such, the gap frame provides a concrete starting point for a strategic discussion on sustainability and an effective decision-making tool to help business, government and, and education to focus on activities that can produce the best outcomes in closing the gap and to reaching a safe space for all. When I looked at the framework, which you just described, and, and I, I hope listeners will go and just do a search. We'll give the link in the show notes to go and take a look at what this is, because there's picture says a thousand words. When you see the framework, it's just you can you get it and you grasp it in a, in a quick yeah. glance. It's it, it don't grasp the depth of it, but you certainly grasp the the um, the parameters around it and just how it's it's framed up. Gap frame is a really appropriate term for it for sure. Uh, how about business in this? Because we have early adopters that are heads up, looking this way, they're engaged in the circular economy, they understand zero marginal cost, they, they're, they're very much uh, aware of these shifts, and a lot of them are, are working toward, especially the larger companies, either were already operating on principles of life and, you know, living system principles for their management model, management biomimicry, or yeah. they are moving toward it. What's their interface with something like GapFrame, and 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 what is it that what's the conversation that precedes them involving being involved and contributing to it? That's a, it's a it's, that's that's probably that's my current research question, and I'm actually just editing a, in a very you know in a German a German article that will go out next week on this. I think one of the work that we one of the works that we've done before is that we said like. Business has been doing already a lot in sustainable development uh, over the last 20 years. But when you measure the state of the world, today we are in a worse place than we were 20 years ago. So somehow there is a disconnect between all this activity that business is doing and the state of the world that is deteriorating. And of course, it's not to say that business is, it's business's mistakes that the world is deteriorating. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm saying that somehow the the impact of what business is doing isn't big enough or as big as it needs to be given the challenge. So what the gap frame does, it kind of, it allows, it gives you a starting point for a new strategic discussion. We do for the moment uh, prototypes with Swiss companies uh, on, on, on starting with the gap frame and saying, if you're operating in Switzerland, the, here are the biggest five issues that Switzerland needs to solve. Reducing the carbon, uh, the carbon uh, footprint that we have, improving equal opportunity, reducing or reducing our unsustainable consumption, reducing our negative impact on the oceans, working on clean energy and whatever, right? The, 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 the top issues. And then working with the business to say, so now what are, 
what are the competencies that you as a business are most proud of? What actually makes you, which is beyond the product or a service, what is really the genius of your business? And of these competencies, talents, resources, whatever is in there, how can these serve to solve or contribute to solving some of these burning issues out there? And what happens as a result is that you're starting to design entirely new divisions that can result of the new market opportunities that come up of the products and services that uh, a business will develop to solve these issues, which then generate long-term economic viability to the business while contributing to solving the, economic, the, the social and environmental issues of the world. Uh, but for this, what you need is this outside-in perspective. You must start with, what, with the problems that are out there. You can't simply look at reducing the negative impact of your business. You must look at how can you create a massive positive change out there, right? So I think the gap frame allows a totally di different strategic discussion. The way this connects then to how the organization is operating is that in order to solve that, you need multi-stakeholder engagement dialogues, a top-down strategy doesn't work anymore. A five-year plan doesn't work anymore. You need to go into much more of a, you know, a biomimicry is a great example of you need to have a much more fluid organizational expression that is in closer contact with what is happening out there so that you can adjust continuously the products and services that you provide in reaction to the prototyping that you're doing. So... The, the strategic consequence is one that you need an entirely different organizational decision-making process. And on the individual level, to get back to the three levels again, with the gap frame is solving the, the, all of us, is that you need people with different competencies. And the different competencies that you need is you need to not just be able to manage within your business or to operate among your colleagues. You need to be comfortable with working outside of the boundaries of your business. And business schools don't do that today. They, they educate management, managing a business. Well, it's not about managing a business anymore only. That's a part of it. But the art is how do you interact with those people out there that have different priorities, measure success differently, and, and have different understandings of how, of how you collaborate. So it allows a different strategic discussion to happen. But then, of course, it doesn't, it doesn't solve the competency challenge on the individual level and it doesn't address the, the, the adaptations of a different decision making mechanism that you need in, uh, in business. Yeah, those, those ones still need to be tackled. It's one of the reasons mm -hmm. why I say that the biggest asset right now is inner leadership. It's not, I mean, it's the inner skills that go with yourself. It's not tools. You're not, uh, the tools like decision making tools help, but they start with understanding that we've got this completely different environment to work in and it's calling forth the best in who we are as opposed to biologically, as well as every other mm -hmm. level. So, and I mean, a lot of what I've heard you talk about has to do with restoring soul too, restoring the spirit mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. interactions, to workplaces, because mm -hmm. in the, in the world of mechanistic uh, and convenience of process and tools and all of that, we, we sort of negate or, or at least ignore at best ignore the fact that people are very, very capable and very powerful. We tend mm -hmm. to ignore the magic of those synergies in action. So, mm -hmm. so that's mm -hmm. cool. Appreciate it. I think it, indeed, as you, just to pick up on what you said, I think that uh, I think the answer is an and, and, and. In, it needs an entirely con different conversation about what the role of, in, role of business is in society today. And the gap frame hopefully can help frame that discussion. And it needs the different organization. And, you know, like, and 
And it, it actually doesn't matter where you start. They're all, they're all totally interconnected. And you need to have this deeper connection within yourself so that you can feel that you're a part of everything that is. And once you feel that you're a part of everything that is, then you, then everything makes different sense, right? And that's a bit of a personal journey you have to take. Absolutely. In fact, it, what, what you're saying reminds me of the conversations I've had with Irvin Laszlo and that beginning of the first episode in this program, what is reality, who am I, and, and uh, mm-hmm. why am I here, is one you have personally. But then now what we're talking about is to scale that up to the organizational conversation because that's where those bigger issues and we're stepping outside of your shareholder return and all of these very limiting goals you know, step outside of that and look at it from an entirely different value mm-hmm. contribution to the world. So I'm listening to a lot of millennials who are coming out of university and they're looking at, do I follow my passion or do I get a job? And, and that whole idea of, of university being part of teaching people how to learn something they may not have learned in school, but, but, also just what, where do I fit in the world now that I'm coming out of, the, of this and I'm stepping into some mix up of societal expectations, global change, new awareness or fresh and emerging and widening awareness that we can't do what we've been doing, keep the same patterns in place. What advice would you give them? We're actually one of the initiatives I'm working on, which is also kind of a beyond BSL initiative is coming up with a, a new ranking system for business schools, because I think, how business schools are ranked today don't really don't really allow the millennials or the potential students to don't give them the right information to make the right choice because they're often ranked in terms of for example salary increase before and after a program or or stuff like that whereas what they're looking for is uh, how can they bring their 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 passion for the world into a relevant job that they love hopefully in a culture of a company that they feel totally at ease with so we're looking at kind of, so for, in order to do that, we started uh, by looking at the ideal business school and kind of are, are also, again, starting with that ideal kind of uh, trying to understand where business schools are and how we can help them transform to that space. And this is be far beyond BSL. It's an international uh, project. But what it made me realize is that part of that ideal business school is a business school that allows students to, to define themselves what they want to learn. And not only what they want to learn, but where they want to learn it and how they want to learn it, right? And for that, that means uh, often I think, you know, practice is so much undervalued in, in academic uh, education. We are looking at uh, entirely redoing our bachelor program uh, by including a, a significant amount of time of students not, not being at the school, but being anywhere out in the world doing whatever they want to do. And equipping them with the right reflection tools, a way to digest their experience and bring it back and inspire them the next year students on what they have done and round off what they, the questions they bring in after having been, having wandered the world for a half a year or a year and come back with the question and then help them find answers to them. So really turning education not into something where we pretend we know what they need to have, but we're letting them actually really dive into what their passions are and helping them to come up with smart questions in the first place because it's so much more important to come up with good questions than good answers. So we still would do a bit of the helping them how to think, which is a bit of a a job of of a university, but do it in in the space of the 21st century and not in the necessarily, of course, the critical thinking and the systemic thinking is, you know, these are ways of looking at problems that that we need to do but in a way that they can actually 
own their 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 education and they learn to work both out you know like with stakeholders out there on real issues rather than trying to emulate uh, necessarily only a, a, a social entrepreneurial startup you know in a small little setting with a couple of friends i think that's useful as well but we want to go beyond that so the advice i would give them is uh, Follow that passion and uh, make sure if you don't find a business school that offers this, find a, a coach, a mentor, a book or some process that helps you reflect on what you're learning and what is happening to you and where you get uh, irritated. I find irritation is such an insightful trigger to that. Some, some learning needs to happen, right? So, so that, you can, that you don't just get triggered into a space where your limitations show up, but that you get triggered into, ah, and, and, and why am I? triggered by this and what is the learning opportunity behind it kind of be accompanied in that journey and then possibly uh, supplement that with uh, with the knowledge here and there of where you need it i think increasingly you know i think we're we're probably looking uh, i'm nearly i'm nearly appealing to say there is probably a, a world after business schools or beyond business schools where ultimately uh, the future employers are going to look for very specific competencies that people bring rather than a generic degree in something there's very smart ways of uh, obtaining these uh, competencies. There's there's batches that can be obtained that you can attach to your, you know, uh, electronic CV that that is becomes visible and so forth. So, I think I think practical hands-on experience around something that uh, a person feels energy with is a, is a great starting place. And then making sure that uh, there's the required reflection on it, so it's, it becomes actually a learning experience, would be really useful. Yeah, thank you very much. That's a brilliant suggestion because a whole lot of what's going on in the world today is being redesigned in the moment. We, we have political systems that aren't keeping pace. We have a lot of education systems that aren't keeping pace with, with the changes. And I think business is in the leadership mode, but that still has to come from an inspired sense of what's who are we and what's our relationship yeah. with this bigger mm-hmm. world. I don't think you can teach systems out of a book. I think you have to go into nature and sit there for a while and watch and listen and learn and, and go into the world and look at how we interact culturally and watch and listen and learn. I think that's where the real systems interactions play out right in front of our eyes. And we often tend to ignore that fact and look at it through the lens of bias, which is always dominant. You know, it's always there. We're human. We can't ignore that. But we can be aware of where it's playing out and just, you know, suspend the judgment and just listen and take it all in, I think. Yeah. And I think, you know, that the, the, the then the role of the, of the faculty as no longer as being a sage on the stage or even a, a brilliant facilitator, it really becomes a co-learner saying, let's together see what, what, what have you learned? What have I learned? How, how do we make sense out of that? And how can I help you to your next better question uh, that you can look at? True. That is so exciting from a, from a, from a business school or a university is a learning, uh, a learning place, right? So, I mean, if all of us can learn with our students, well, wow, great, you know? Yeah, that is a real ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Now, now that you're talking students, our, our graduates are often struggling as they are making sense of trying to find their first job. And uh, I find giving them the, the advice of go for your passion is uh, so cheap in a certain way. Many of them also don't have a passion. They don't know what, what that means. So I, uh, I, I would probably uh, like to add a little bit of a sense of pragmatism to, to, to what I just said before of saying, you know, like any job, paid or unpaid, where anybody is looking for your support right now, even though it's very far from maybe what you've learned or 
what you would ultimately like to do and where you simply can show what um, what you have to add in a, in a, in a certain situation is such a great first step. It makes no sense to try and, and, and hold and try and find the ideal first job. The first job and the first 10 jobs probably don't matter. What it is, what they are about, they are simply opportunities to show who you are, what you can do, and how you can adapt and learn. And, and you'll figure out what you really want. You'll, en- you'll figure out what you really enjoy and what you don't enjoy. This is not a mental exercise. So I think even what is your passion is best figured out by just living and doing and not by filling pages uh, of self-analysis, you know? Just I wanted to add a little bit of pragmatism to it of saying, there are zillions burning of burning problems out there. Why not pick one and try to go about trying to solve that? We are BSL. We're just talking right now of offering a very pragmatic kind of an applied masters uh, where we support people who do that with if and when they need support and having them uh, having them write a, a reflection paper at the end and equipping them with an academic with, with an academic degree afterwards. But really allowing them to go and pick what they what they how they want to change the world and only be at their service of when they need help that they would come back and you know you don't need a business school for that i mean we look at it because we are a business school and obviously we want to be a player in helping that change happen but you don't really i mean you can find that help anywhere you know you have probably a, a fabulous godfather or godmother or some teacher that inspired you at some point that, that will happily be your coach in this in this next phase. So. Yeah, I appreciate that because it, 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 that's true. People, you know, I, I mean, I'm talking to certain millennials are coming out with a high degree of focus on what their passion is, but at the same time, there's this wrestle with the pragmatic. Episode 20 on this program is with two millennials who, who just sort of looked at it as their 20s, at least, as an experiment. So it would be, well, let me try that out and let me try that out. And, 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 yeah. and that was their way of isolating what, what they cared enough about in the moment to pursue mm-hmm. it, you know, from mm-hmm. a passionate point of view. At the same time, without missing the fact that there's some bigger, sta- you know, bigger things going on in the world. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I think they are, I mean, that's a, you know, I, I love, I love that. Uh, I love that example. I think that's a really good way of going about uh, getting into that uh, explorative spirit of your life i mean you and i are old enough that we were lucky we were probably you know we were probably told we get lifelong jobs which like i i mean i never thought i would end up running a business school i've done three different careers before that and god knows what comes next right so we had to learn it as we were going and the 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 current generation that is looking for employment they will have to probably create their own jobs again and again and again so being uh being a really good innovator probably and adapter is really essential so i love that i love that idea yeah it works i think it really works katrine thank you very much for being on the program gap frame is that gapframe.org i believe exactly one word gapframe.org really easy yeah and then i'll put the link to the business school in the bottom any other information you'd care to share for people listening to the program We've got a, an easy five-minute test to see um, to what where you are on your journey to become a responsible leader. It's a it really it, I think it takes not even five minutes. So uh, that test is called CARL for the Competency Assessment of Responsible Leadership C A R L. So that is available on our website as well. It's a free test. It gives you an immediate feedback that tells you where you are. So that could be a, a funny thing to kind of look at the individual level of where you may have some more more work to be done. 
No, that's perfect. That's perfect. That's a, that's an action that people listening can immediately do. So without any effort, thanks very much. Pleasure. In addition to this interview on business school innovation, there's also the interview on the program with Stephanie Glodden and the University of Phoenix's Red Flint Accelerator Program, and on the Evolutionary Provocator podcast, which is on iTunes and management issues, so it's 20 episodes on management issues, you'll find the interview with John North and the Global Responsible Leadership Initiative, where business schools that are doing very innovative work find community and a place to share ideas and stories and build up their, their the ecosystem for change. This is Donna Jones. I'm your host and author of Decision Making for Dummies, the Evolutionary Provocator podcast, the Insight to Action podcast. I also blog for the Great Workplace Cultures in Huffington Post and consult in business decision making for complexity and uh, speak as well. So please contact me through the website from insighttoaction.com, www.fominsighttoaction.com, or Twitter at EP. D-A-W-N-A underscore Jones, J-O-N-E-S. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this program, I encourage you to share it with others and help spread the word. I'd very much appreciate your support and reviews.